You're listening to Mend, Life at the Seams. Hi, I'm Amy Day. And I'm Annie Freaky. Each season, we deep dive into a select community to hear their tales in hopes that we may shed some new light of understanding in that given corner of the world. In this season of Mend, we start digging in our own backyards. Beneath the stereotypes and sensationalized portrayals of criminals, greed, and environmental destruction, to the origins of Humboldt County's marijuana culture, the backs of the landers, the activists, the families, the farmers, and the medicine makers. In a landscape that is rapidly shifting, we go back to the beginning to see where we started, where we've come thus far, and hopefully shed some light on the path that's yet to come. So join us. Pull up a chair, pour a glass, and listen. In this episode, we speak with Brian, a man from my home state of Indiana, who, in his almost 30-year relationship with marijuana, spent five years working on various types of ganja farms in Humboldt County. When Oregon legalized marijuana and offered licenses over the internet, he paid his fee and moved up to work on a small recreational grow. He tells us the how and why he chose marijuana as a career path and assures us he is in it for the plant. When we asked him if and or what he misses about the black market, his quick response was precise and passionate. We discussed the possibilities, both good and bad, in store for California with legalization and the strict regulations in place for the marijuana industry. When asked what he believes the cannabis culture can offer to the world at large, Brian tells us that Humboldt taught him something that he didn't learn anywhere else. I'll give you a hint. He refers to many of the farmers he knew in Humboldt as soil builders. We hope you enjoy this conversation as we are winding down this season on the origin stories and looking towards the future of Humboldt's marijuana culture. All right, well, here we go, guys. Um, so we're sitting down tonight with Brian, who is joining us from up in Oregon. And um, we wanted to sit down with Brian specifically because he is a veteran of the the ganja world from many different corners. And so we kind of wanted to, and on, ironically, and we didn't plan this, this, this particular episode is going to be airing right after Labor Day. So this is kind of our own... <laughs> And tribute to the working man. So Brian is here to kind of just be the voice and kind of guide us through um, his own personal journey and what it's looked like from way back in the day um, to his present day work in the cannabis industry. So welcome, Brian. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Hmm. So uh, we typically start off, uh, as you know, just kind of asking people to kind of just locate themselves. Typically, um, you know, we would say inside the Humboldt um, cannabis scene, um, but I know that you have been involved in the cannabis scene in multiple iterations. So maybe you could just give us just a little encapsulation of uh, your work inside the cannabis industry now and maybe some of your connection um, to Humboldt County through that. Uh, well, I came to Humboldt uh, just 
following my nose as far as what it meant to have good ganja. Um, the the Indiana scene where I was coming from was was very focused, and uh, there was some good stuff, but not not on the really like organic outdoor full flavor kind of vibe that I was trying to figure out. So I think that, you know, I, I came to Humboldt following the ganja industry a little bit later than a lot of people did. I know a lot of people left the Midwest as soon as California uh, legalized for medical. And I had wanted to do that from that time on, but I just didn't really have the opportunity until later. And then, so as far as, so you, you, you had a connection here and then is this where you're currently working or what, what's your connection right now to the cannabis industry? Oh, now I'm uh, working in a recreational grow in Eugene, Oregon uh, called Coyote Creek Cannabis. Um, and it is a, it's the lowest tier you can get for a commercial license and it's really focused on small batch quality it's basically kind of back to where i started but with a lot more knowledge of what i'm doing so, so it's it's really good would you mind walking us down that path how long would you say you've been in involved and working and m making some form of a living from from cannabis Mm, you know, that's tough. Uh, I definitely was trying to figure out how to grow weeds since, I want to say, 2000. I don't know. My, I, I had friends who were doing, like, ditch weed by the train tracks in Indiana kind of a thing, and it wasn't really that great. And so I started kind of trying to figure it out. And so, yeah, 2000, 2001, something like that. Started looking into it. And then start, I think I first grew in, oh, geez. It had to have been 28. It's a long time ago. Okay. And what did that look like? Was that just a little room in your garage, a little spare bedroom? Like what would, what? Yeah, in a, in a basement. In a basement. Okay. It was just, yeah, just in a basement down there and, and the old, uh, in the no man's land where you're not supposed to even have it at all, but uh, obviously a lot of people uh, consume it anyways, regardless of what the law is going to say. So it's always out there. So I, before this interview, I didn't get the the uh, line that you're originally from Indiana. I'm also from yeah. Indiana, and oh, cool. I will say the the first time I ever saw a pot plant was in somebody's closet in yes. Indiana, and I remember um, he would never use electricity. <laughs> he would always use nice. like candles at night, and I thought he was being romantic, and it turns out he was just trying to keep his power bill. <laughs> really yeah well, exactly you can use candles i don't know if that helped but well no 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 they, no. <laughs> they no. Uh, oh, oh i get it okay sorry light. sorry gotcha yeah. okay the plants get it and then you humanoids who are doing other things yeah gotcha gotcha okay you know that's gotcha. that's 
fairly <laughs> common, I think, in the industry as far as like humans taking uh, a back seat to the plants. I think mm. that a lot of, especially in, in that situation where it's illegal and you have to hide it and you're already compromising yourself a great deal just to have it in states like Indiana. Mm-hmm. So it's well, a risk. I mean, even even in humble, I mean, that's an interesting uh, thing to point out that the humans sometimes take a backseat to the plant. Um, I can remember uh, families that I've known, uh, you know, kids sleeping outside in tents during the year when it's time to dry everything. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, they weren't neglected or anything, but definitely. There's some other ladies that need uh, an an indoor sleeping situation so the rest of y'all can go find the outside. Uh, Well, and what is it? I mean, is it Michael Pollan who does all that work about, you know, the botany of desire and, um, you know, people working for the plants? I mean, I definitely think there's... um, there's definitely a decent amount of that going on in this world. But, you know, you brought up an interesting point. So what, I mean, to those of us who, you know, are California babies, can you walk us through, like, what is the law in that part of the country right now? Like, if you're caught with X number of ounces or pounds, like, what is some of the the consequences that you're looking at, if you're familiar with that at, at present? Well, uh, as far as I know, in Indiana, it really depends on your demographic. Mm. Uh, like if you're a white guy, then there's one one consequence, and if you're a person of color, there's another? Or? Well, there's certainly an element of white privilege to the black market in general, but also I think where you're located, because certain counties are so inundated with it that they just don't prosecute because they don't have the room or resources for it. Okay. Okay. So yeah, they'll probably go more to prosecuting the people of color. Unfortunately, I just, I mean, that's just the way Indiana works. Uh, I'm, I think that's a whole <laughs> a different subject. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so then, I mean, so knowing what, what, what was it, would you say that drew you to, to work with cannabis was it purely a profit motive or was there a deeper draw than that definitely a deeper draw uh i think initially it was a childhood infatuation with kind of all drugs which was really bad and then eventually coming to the realization that I need to maybe go for like the least amount of bad and deciding that cannabis was going to be the thing that at least wouldn't kill me. And then realistically, I've been a a heavy user for, you know, 30 years, pretty much solid Mm -hmm. uh, with occasionally taking like six months off here and there. So did you ever... Uh, I'm sorry if I missed this part. The internet's going in and out. But um, did you ever, did you spend time in Humboldt? But all you have, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. I was in I was in Humboldt, helping with a, a different farm, pretty much every year in a different location for five years, about roughly. Okay. And can you describe a little bit of what that looked like? 
And even, uh, if, you know, if you're willing, Kitch, just to compare it a little bit to some of the work that you're doing now and how that stacks up as far as the workload. Well, just, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the work in general, like, is kind of somewhere between like a, a, sh a cook, I guess, like an industrial kitchen or like a, something like that, but then also like a janitor that's like really dirty, you know, you, it's, it's not pretty. It's definitely something that uh, the majority of the market doesn't want to have to see or smell or deal with. It's a lot of, you know, fertilizer, which is poop and stuff like that. Like it's not pretty, but it's definitely rewarding creatively. I and mean, it feels really good to go from seed to flower and see, you know, the process of just nature blooming or whatever I mean it's just it's a miracle it's definitely I'm definitely in it for the plant I was never too concerned about uh getting rich ever in fact I kind of assumed that I was not going to necessarily get as far as I have I, I was just definitely taking the risk knowing that it could go the other way and be unsuccessful, but I'm really fortunate and thankful so far. So did you come to Humboldt specifically to work? Is that how you came to Humboldt or did you? Um... I, I came for a job opportunity, but it was really more about the uh, opportunity to learn where all that flavor was coming from. There was just flavors coming from there that I was finding in Indiana and I was like, wow, I need to figure out how they're doing this. Basically. Mm -hmm. So, so you would, you heard about Humboldt in Indiana? You knew? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. yeah, there would be weed from you know Canada, Mexico, or California generally. Humboldt was definitely the better weed by far. <laughs> yeah, we keep hearing that. Um, so, were there any? Uh, did you have any visions of Humboldt before you came? I mean, you're in Indiana. You're you're smoking pot from Humboldt. Did you have like this vision or this? you know, of what Humboldt may like, may be like, and then you get here and what? You know, I, I was excited and I didn't really know what to expect. I mean, it was completely mind blowing though, just being in the terrain in Northern California. I mean, just like all the eagles and the rivers and the, it's just gorgeous. It's a different, like, feeling to be there um but as far as like the the weed thing goes yeah it was completely different like absolutely night and day i mean it, it was you know all these little closet grows in indiana and then you come out to california and it's like uh they're just giant grows it's like unbelievable in comparison like it's so it's like so huge compared to there I mean, you'd have to see it to really see this dark difference. It's like, you know, 50 plants versus 5,000 or 50,000, some of these people. And um, it's, it's mind boggling how much actual like weed is consumed in this country or wherever it's going. I don't know. <laughs> I guess I just still continue to be, I mean, cause there's a lot of ways to make money, right? You know, it's, especially if you're coming at it from, you know, it's, it's a job, right? You know, it's a way to make your way through the world. It's a way to, you know, to make, you know, one end meet another. 
And I just, I, I've just continued to be drawn to, you know, why this as opposed to, because you, you've, you've worked in other professions, right? You know, you've held down other, yeah. other gigs, you have other skills that you've built up. I wonder what it is about this in particular that keeps you coming back. I, that's a pretty big question, actually. Right. <laughs> as far as being educated to know how to do something, for one, I mean, it's kind of a little bit of uh, once the ball's rolling on your career path, you're like on your career path. It really is just that pro the fact that it's production. And I mean, honestly, it doesn't necessarily pay more than food service unless you're, you know, an owner operator that has multiple facilities, you're not really making a whole lot of money in this industry. But mm -hmm. as a worker, it's steady. It's the, the, I don't know of any layoffs that have ever happened in the cannabis industry other than like legal issues that people have. Hmm. I was just thinking, um, cause you were comparing it to the food industry. I was just thinking about, how, you know, in the Ghana industry, at least on the black market, um, you see the entire process, you yeah. know, whereas in any other, or factory work, you were talking about that, in any other, yeah. any other job, you're just doing a small part of that job, usually, or, you know, creating the small part, and then, you know, in the ganja industry, you're, you're doing, you're seeing it from the seed to the, to, through, to when it's ready to be smoked, which is actually pretty cool, but I think that's something that sounds like it's going to go away once it starts getting people are going into compliance and all that stuff. That's what people are talking about is, you know, you got to outsource your processing and. The artificial barrier of, of legitimate money is going to change the industry like that. Once that curtain goes up, then all of the money that can corrupt the industry will definitely come flooding in or has come flooding in. I think that it's really going to be, like i don't know like here it's the liquor commission that runs things and i know nevada is the same way i'm not sure how california is going to do it I, I think they were talking about having the agriculture department the department of agriculture control things yeah well and i was thinking uh more about the product not so much about the money but um but just seeing the whole the product all the way through and yeah artistry you could argue well, that that takes well you know that the the quality control element i mean that's just management i think that uh you know from going from seed to plant or from seed to flower is definitely i guess you're you know as as it gets bigger yeah you're gonna need to hire people who don't have a whole like overarching view of all of it when there's you know twenty thousand, fifty thousand plants going, but like that's just when it becomes industrial agriculture, then they're just going to use combine harvesters and wow. trimming trimming machines. I don't think that. I mean, who knows? There's a million ways to do it too. So mm -hmm. that's one thing I do really like about uh, the legal aspect, like the whatever the recreational cannabis industry up here is way more uh regulated than the medical cannabis industry that i was in in california and 
you know, it's infinitely more regulated than the black market. And I think that for now it's unnecessarily strict, but I also think it's a good thing. And I'm hoping that it has some carryover into other industries because there's, there's organic, uh, you know, certification. And then there's like the cutting edge, like, organic processes that people are using to increase yield in cannabis. And I think that it's a technology that is really interesting and really can cross over to help other industries. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. The industry of cannabis is very much on the, on the forefront of like pushing the technology of organic, if that makes any sense, like just the techniques I hear a lot about like the compost, teas and the bukashi and all of the the uh kind of like ancient organic methods that are being reintroduced and reperfected it, it makes me think of how like you know all of the pedestrian technology that we have at our fingertips now they say a lot of the stuff that we rely upon was initially a military innovation because they had so much money being thrown yeah. at them you know because they had that huge budget to work with they were able to come up with all of these amazing things that now we can implement as you know just normal um householders and it makes me think a little bit something analogous to that whereas you know because there's so much money and investors and people you know jumping into the cannabis world right now and that then the te- and the level of testing is so high uh, that's that's you know one potential hope right is that this kind of stuff yeah. will spread over into other areas of agriculture of you know the way yes. we farm other things the way we test other things the way we uh, the bar that we set even, um, I, I don't, you know, obviously isn't happening yet because so, <laughs> our, you know, our food supply is still very much, um, not held to that standard, but at least yeah. we can start with what we're smoking. Um, I, I wanted to look a little bit. So Annie and I had an episode the other, um, the other week where we just kind of sat down just to see if we could kind of back up the lens a little bit and see like, so what is this bigger story about cannabis and Humboldt County that we're telling? And we kind of wanted to like, see if we could pull out some of those, the bigger threads, um, not to completely just, you know, overuse that mend uh, metaphor there, but we will (laughs) just for time being. Um, And just see what some of these themes that kept emerging through all of these talks. And one that came up a lot was one of community. and I just wonder, because I know for me, I've had a lot of, I had, a, you know, we, we sat with my daughter earlier tonight and she wanted to know all of our jobs. And I had to sit there from the, you know, the time I was 12 till present and recount every shitty job I'd had to my kids. <laughs> I was like, God, I've had a lot of shitty jobs. And just thinking nice. about the ones I stuck at the longest, it was all about the people, you know, it was all about yes. that feeling of family. You know, you can pay me a crappy wage. You can give me minimal benefits. You can give me weird hours. But if I feel connected and on the same you know, level and really like a family vibe from the people I'm working with, I will keep coming back. You, I will clock in because these people are my people. Um, yes. Was that a part of the work that you did, particularly here in Humble? And can you maybe just give us a little picture of maybe what that looked like? Oh yeah, big time. I mean, just the the solidarity of being, you know, in the know, if you will, like just knowing that like we're all out on the same limb here, you mm-hmm. know, and, and 
in terms of what we're doing and sure everybody has their own reasons to get where they get to but once you're all in the boat it's like you're definitely it's a crew for sure it's camaraderie and really industry-wide I mean just today I went to this uh, vegan soul food restaurant and uh, met the only other dude at the bar was a farmer and ganja farmer and he was showing me all of his pictures on his phone like it was his kids and (laughs) it was just it was just really cool it was a really good feeling yeah definitely it's it's a it's a family vibe for sure what kind of farms did you work on I mean did you do the um, like gorilla grows were you staying with families and helping with them or anywhere in between um I got to I got to help on a couple gorilla grows just for the experience and uh the you know I really like the cottage grow kind of situation where your plants are actually at your house the most uh the big industrial type situations are probably like the most rewarding for me just because of the art of it and seeing how just how challenging it is it's like i just really like to problem solve the the cottage outdoor grow is probably my favorite where you just have a small little orchard in your yard that you are with all the time and you don't have to commute you don't have to sleep in the tent (laughs) yeah i think that's the ideal do you think there's a place for that in the current market or do you see that on its way out um i think that there is a place for everything in the current market there's a lot of low quality stuff out there and not a lot of high quality stuff the scene up here is as flooded as you could possibly imagine because you know they're just licensing all these people to go ahead and do it but then you go into the dispensary and you still have four or five people in line and at at any given dispensary there's people waiting in line to get it as you go up the shelf and the price it definitely there's fewer and fewer options like today when i went to the dispensary there was only two flavors in the top shelf and of all of the flavors of weed you would think that there would be more than two that they could get a high quality version of but currently they were sold out of everything else they only had two left two flavors left so there literally is a top shelf like when we're talking about you know walking in oh, the yeah. bar and getting the top shelf martini or whatever there yeah. literally is the top yes. shelf ganja okay so yes. how are they choosing now this is is the high ticket you know daddy warbuck it's tested okay it's tested but so there's again. a lot of lower quality stuff I mean, I mean, it's, you know, basically it's like you can get a $6 gram or you can get a $15 gram, you know, mm. it's like there's tons of really bad weed, but then there's always going to be like, I think for sure, I mean, just back to the cottage grow thing, like if you have a love for the art of cannabis, then you're probably going to be producing something that's desirable and there's going to be a market for it, in my opinion. And you're saying that uh, the people coming into the dispensary, they're still willing to pay the higher prices for the top shelf? 
Oh yeah, oh, it's so, like it's hard for them to keep it on the shelf. Like I said, there was only two flavors the last time I went in to look through the top shelf flavors. That so I wanted to just hear a little bit. So you've worked in, you know, as you call it, the you know, kind of the cottage. You know, step out your back door, and there's there's your plant. You know, not a ton of them, just enough that you can handle. You and a small crew. You've worked yeah. on a bigger industrial thing. You've done exactly. the gorilla thing. So you've had, you know, and then you had, you know, the way back in Indiana with a, with a, you know, a closet mm-hmm. <laughs> working. What yeah. what is your work environment look like now in a fully regulated um you know legal licensed um operation up in oregon what does that look like uh you know some of the the drawbacks are like having to be on camera the whole time and having to maintain uh you know backstock of camera footage um you know, having because to deal there's... with alarms and security. Uh-huh. The, the, those aspects of the regulation might go away depending on what the Fed does. But for now, uh, Colorado and Oregon, and I think all of the, I think Washington too, all use the same basic database for plant tracking. And it's all like you have to have every square inch on camera and you have to have like a year's worth of backup footage. And there's a lot of regulation that is like overkill. And that is kind of a bummer. I mean, I do a lot of paperwork. I have to write every single thing down, everything. And then I have to make sure it's also backed up on digital. So I write it all down and then I type it all in. And I mean, it's a little bit of a bummer, but it's definitely worth it just to be able to operate and you get paid a little bit more for your weed because it's licensed and tested. Okay. What do you get paid more for it as opposed to like the black market is it, you get paid more from a dispensary by kind of a lot than on the black market. Huh. I would not and that would that. be like the, the local black market as opposed to, you know, if you're willing to get it to the other side of the country or, or is that just in general right now? Um, I think that, uh, I mean, just it's the difference between if you wanted to try to sell it somewhere on the street, good luck um negotiating a price but then if you want to go into the dispensary and deal with the buyer then there's already a system for it and they're actually getting uh they're actually getting the full margin because they're selling it by the gram so then you're not dealing with 10 middlemen between here and who knows where it's going it's like right. all very predictable okay okay and the only trade-off to that predictability is that, you know, part of your, your work is actually spent with the plant and then the other part is spent pushing, pushing papers around. Yeah, you got to file all your TPS reports. That's okay, gotcha. <laughs> God, that sounds like a nightmare. Uh, but it's really not. I mean, it's really, it's really like an extra maybe hour of my day well and i think that's what we keep hearing is from a lot of people you know like just kind of that big collective 
grumble that we hear from people that have been at this for a while, you know, and like what, you know, a lot of the, the hoopla and a lot of the, uh, the red tapes, so to speak of regulation is, is stuff that, you know, legal business owners have been having to do for, for decades, you know, this is not, yes. you know, not really reinventing the wheel, even though cannabis may be held to a higher standard as far as testing, a lot of these regulations are stuff that, you know, every time you went to build a house, every time you went to, yeah. you know, um, set up a deli or a kid care for exactly. whatever, you know, you name it, they had to walk through this process. And I think it's just now this particular population is like, okay, you get the benefits of legalization. You have a consistent marketplace for your product, but it comes with mm. a few other fun, fun adult bits. Yeah. You um, get to be on camera literally the whole time. Wow. <laughs> Which is amazing to me. Cause I mean, the one other conversation that Annie and I have had inside of this is like, you know, a lot of people came into this world because they were wanting to avoid the limelight because they're wanting to kind of go beneath the radar. And so now it's yeah. interesting that everyone who chooses to stay is going to have to get to be very public in a way, you know, you're either signing something on a piece of paper saying, I've been, I've been doing this for however many years I've been breaking the law in order to continue to yeah. move forward. Or you're, you're on camera working with the pop. <laughs> yeah. Brave new world. Well, I'm, it's a clash of cultures for sure. But I mean, that's, life or whatever you know like everybody's learning to get along here there's several more licenses that i would like to get a figure in some combination of so that i can uh work but also be able to transport or process I, like i like i can currently grow weed legally and that's it like i can't make ganja brownies because that would be not what my license like you have to have a license to do that so you have like a food safety license or yeah well that's i mean that's a whole another section of the website that i need to get into you know like there's food handling aspect of it but i think also it's just a matter of signing up for it and paying for the Mm-hmm. the fee paying the fee to have a license because all i did for my worker's license which i got when i was still a california citizen I just went on the website and applied for it and it came in the mail and I have it. I actually, no, I printed it out and laminated it myself. Wow. So your license now lets you grow? Yes. It lets me work for a licensed grow. Okay. So you can't necessarily own your own grow, but you can work on. No, that's a different license. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. What is the license cost? That makes sense, yeah. I guess. Oh, my license was only a hundred bucks. Oh, so they go up from there. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Like, I, I think to actually be a legit business, to be the business owner is a lot. Like, it's not just the license. It's all that infrastructure and security. And then you have to have somebody come inspect you and sign off on all of it. I think it's mm-hmm. definitely more than a hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Probably thousands at least. Yeah. Are there still traditional <laughs> trimmers awesome. in like people who have, I mean, who like, like you see still in Humboldt County? I mean, like, do you have to have a license to sit with your Fiskers? And I mean, are you seeing more, you do? more industrial? Um, you do have to have a license except for they just changed it because there's not enough workers. So 
you have to have applied for the license now. Okay. Do you miss uh, the black market farm? Do you no, miss? not no. even at all. Not even a little bit. <laughs> I feel finally like I'm not scared of helicopters. Okay, so so ultimately, the benefits of entering into this new era of legality outweigh any any cons of kind of the uh, reminiscing about the the good old days. Is are there, th yes, are there elements sure. that you miss of of what it was just to kind of be in that subterranean world, or are, are you fully fully happy to be on board in this new new iteration here? Are there elements that I've missed? Not even a little bit. I'm very <laughs> happy. Like the hemp oil thing, I think it's going to be huge. Um, Can you explain? I, I that's don't know even that legal is. in Indiana now. You're talking about like industrial like, hemp, right? Like no um, THC like, in it. Like, yeah, they're doing low THC, low CBD plants. That's basically hemp, but they're still growing for flowers and they're still making medicine out of it it's just not there's it's just such minuscule amounts of thc that it's technically not a drug and you could sell it in convenience stores like i think we're going to see more and more of that until eventually the fda can get in there and do something mm. but once that happens then yeah the market will be one wide open but until then, yeah, I think California is going to do great for California, and Oregon is definitely doing great for Oregon. Um, it, it's going to be interesting. I don't see the Department of Agriculture being the ones to regulate it for very long. I have a feeling it's going to go to the liquor people like it did here and in Nevada and in Colorado. Um, like in Nevada, you can only buy bulk cannabis from a liquor wholesaler hmm. doesn't make any sense to you or me but it makes sense to the government you know what i mean like it's like whatever i think that california is definitely going to be a lot better off with a legally regulated market and hopefully eventually that will turn into a a national market that would be awesome i would love to see the 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 pr the price at the register plummet i think that it should be five dollars an eighth i really do even for the good stuff like, well i hope one, that it does one thing that's come up in this and one one person we really wanted to get on the um on the podcast but who's doing literal field work right now staying down at a farm in southern humble is um is a gentleman and i'm gonna forget his name and i'm gonna have to mention it in the show notes because i just can't think of it right now but he is working at humble state and some of the work he's been doing has been to kind of compare and contrast um labor practices within the California agriculture world versus the traditional labor practices um, within the cannabis world in Humboldt County and how one big distinction that he draws is in traditional agriculture, you know, wages are really low. It's not even really a living wage. There's no benefits. There's no, it's not really, you know, workers work really hard and they're not well compensated, you know, and you're actually attracting yeah. a lot of people, you know, that's why you get a lot of, you know, um, 
you get a lot of you get a um a lot of immigrants right who are willing to do that kind of work for a low wage because a lot of you know um privileged white americans are not willing to work that hard for that little money whereas in the cannabis industry traditionally you know dip, most people on, you know, trimmers could count on a pretty decent wage. People, you know, who are working in the field could count on a pretty decent wage. What, how would you compare, you know, how you're being compensated now to what it was like in the heyday? Um, you know, I'm getting an incredibly fair wage right now. I feel really happy and really lucky. Uh, I think that it is, a manager level position though and it's probably comparable to a restaurant manager salary like it's kind of maybe not very much if you think about it in terms of what growers tend to make <laughs> you know like but uh it's 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 just a matter of where's the margin gonna go who's gonna get the profit like is it gonna be the worker or is it gonna be the investor before when it was in the black market you had a lot of trust between the workers and the farmers you had to because it was black market and that's i think the risk is why people were getting paid so much more and yeah that is gonna definitely be a major change the the workers are gonna be paid more like food service workers or yeah like farm workers get even less than that which is just a shame because the margin's still there those people still make that that produce still sells and all that money still gets made but the the investors are more the ones keeping it at that point because it's cap that's capitalism though that's not right. weed that's everything right right i know there's a lot of fear down here in humboldt amongst some people about what what's going to happen and uh, one of the things that i just I think about, and I kind of brought it up earlier, was the sense of community and what people that came up here to participate in, to the Back to the Landers and the community yeah. that they created. And that is one of the biggest fears of that this community is going to kind of die out. You got to really understand what it was that created that community. And it wasn't the ganja that just helped create it. It was the people and I wonder how things will change once we kind of go down this this road that that Oregon has already gone down. It's not really a question in there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a fear, but I wouldn't be too concerned at least as far as the culture there has produced some of the best cannabis in the world and I would really really be sad to see that culture go away i think that those those back to the landers are really driving the creative end of it you're not gonna find you're probably not gonna find the the hot new best strain at any of those industrial grows first you're gonna find it in one of those smaller situations where people care a lot about it I think that, yeah, those need to have a profit motive though. You're right. I mean, it's scary to think about that part of the industry going away. It's going to suck if it does. There's a lot of things about Humboldt that, you know, are conducive to good grass. It's not, I mean, it is the, it's obviously the community 
100%. But it's also the fresh air and the, the, the climate, the sun, you know, it's the sun is brighter there for sure. The California thing, I think one of the big fears that people don't bring up a lot is the agriculture of food is now going to be competing directly with cannabis agriculture. And as long as the price of cannabis is artificially inflated, it's going to drive up the price of food. Like that would be my concern if I was in California. And are you really, saying that, I think that just, should be everybody's concern. And you're so saying that just because they're going to be competing for land use or. Yeah. Like if an investor is going to put money into, you know, avocados or weed, like what has a bigger margin than, I just think that it's going to drive, it's going to potentially drive the price of land up that food is grown on and thereby growing, increasing the price of the food. Interesting. Would yeah. be my concern. Like on an industrial scale, like if Southern California starts growing as much wheat as it could because there's money in it, then that's definitely going to drive up the price of food. I don't know if that's really going to happen now. We'll see. Where are they going to get the water? <laughs> you got all your water man come on definitely don't want to demonize conservatism though i think there are some really good conservative values uh and all the more so within the cannabis community i i really do think that like the the larger you know democrats versus republicans like thing in the u.s is is you know people will come across the aisle for good medicine i've seen it i know that it i know that it is it's stronger than than the politics the plant is stronger than the politics mm. so we kind of talk about you know like this plant's ability if used properly reverently all of that you know with with conscience um, and conscious conscientiousness um, in mind, just its ability to kind of give you a quality of life that perhaps other avenues of of work and life may not be able to grant you. Can you do you feel like working in this world and working with this plant has has gifted you opportunities and and a way of being in this world that you may not have otherwise had access to had you chosen a different path or a way of of livelihood oh yeah for sure i don't necessarily want to get into my medical history but i certainly feel comfortable saying that cannabis has saved my life more than a few times I would, you know as, as far as being a way out of the the drug scene when i was a kid but also being therapeutic for me you know without getting into the you know the religious spiritual side of it yeah like for sure the medical side of it is definitely like i feel like it's been my calling it i feel like it's been something that i will do no matter what my own personal journey has been very positive with the influence of cannabis i hope that other people have a similar uh, opinion on on the matter. I know some people try to blame 
weed for all their problems it happens but i'm kind of the opposite i feel like i've i've been very lucky and and it's been very beneficial in my life so i just wonder you know we, we had to talk about you know like high level of testing and the standards that cannabis is being held to and how the, the hope is that that will carry over into more of the mainstream as far as how we look at other other crops other other bits of agro other pieces and of, of agriculture mm-hmm. um and I, I just think about that as far as lifestyle you know are there because i think one thing about people who have been in kind of the underground cannabis world kind of living on their own terms making up their own rules and there's there's this feeling that as we assimilate into the larger legal culture that we're losing a lot of our identity um Mm -hmm. you know and who we were and the best the best things that made us who we were right um is getting lost in all of this and i just wonder is there stuff from the cannabis culture that you've been a part of for the last, you know, 20 plus years that you would hope would cross pollinate, you know, rather than us assimilating fully into the mainstream consumer culture and mainstream ag world mm-hmm. complex? Yeah. What, what could we bring to the larger conversation? What do we have to teach other people um, in in the larger world outside of Humboldt, outside of the cannabis world that other people need, need to know. <laughs> well, what, do we, what do we bring? I, I mean, the, the, the soil building, the living soil, that's something that Humboldt taught me that I didn't learn anywhere else. And that is completely organic growing, like building the soil. You take the material that you compost into dirt and you make your own dirt and that is by far revolutionary like that is you know we're we're repeating a lot of the same mistakes from you know before the dust bowl happened in terms of commercial agriculture so yeah farming from the aspect of feeding the soil and building the soil is something that i think is pretty strong and humble. A lot of people that I met there were soil builders and I I would like to see that understanding permeate like the mainstream. I don't think that a lot of people get that concept of how microbial diversity is going to be beneficial over the long term in soil because you know the mainstream viewpoint is well we need to make more money off of less input like which it's again Humboldt has shown it is making more money off less inputs it's just you have to have the labor to actually do the organic farming like it takes care it takes connection to it you know I, I, I really do think that yeah that the cannabis community is good for the world good for the greater culture i grew up in a place too big to be a small town too uncultured to be a city it was populated 
mostly by the same ignorant but well-meaning, stand in a grocery store checkout line telling a stranger about the boil on their ass. Praise Jesus. Muslims are terrorists. Feminism is something to laugh at. And oh, by the way, could y'all supersize that? Kind of folk. Even talking about back home, so is my tongue, and I have to consciously sharpen my words and clip off those extra syllables that open a word, stretch it just a bit to show an honesty in the ignorance and a safety in the simplicity. But I learned that in college, to speak without an accent that lets a listener know that I grew up in a place where the strip malls used to be cornfields and the lakes are stripper pits, a place where the seasons can be defined by the type of animal you hunt or the weapon you use and where you should not eat the fish out of the river. I grew up in a place where the tracks pass right through town, trains stopping traffic daily and blowing their arrogant whistle well into the night, giving aspiring wanderers a false sense of freedom and movement. I grew up in a place where having traveled the western half of the United States branded me a world traveler, as if admission of the true enormity of the world would smother their lives into severe inconsequentiality. To breach the horizon was to pluck a red, ripe fruit from the tree, but I was following the advice of a burning bush on a mountain. I grew up smoking marbles by the pack and scribbling poems on the diner napkins, throwing myself into the angst-ridden turmoil feeling too big for my space, searching through every unsettled fiber of my will for the courage of a beat, fantasizing about jazz-filled alleyways in San Francisco and the swish-boom-swish of a freight train hurtling through a star-covered desert. I grew up in a place where babies aren't breastfed, ketchup is a vegetable, fetuses have more rights than a grown woman, and goddamn if the government thinks they're getting my guns. Sundays are for going to church. A place where lightning bugs brighten a warm summer evening, softball games are played in the rain, and the autumn leaves are that to rival a Monet painting. A place where people are kinder than most, in a personal way, but conservative and prejudiced in a political way. I've met many Midwestern transplants living on the West Coast, driven by stimulation starvation, searching for a culture bigger than a crow's flight radius, propelled to seek a home where diversity is known to be the root of a healthy society where the world continues on beyond our imagination. We are cultural refugees seeking asylum amongst what we hope to be an enlightened society, continuing the centuries-old journey of our ancestors, heading west into the unknown on the possibility, the probability, that out there, out here, is better than where we come from. Thank you once again for joining us for another episode of MEND. And thanks for continuing to spread the good word about the words that we're putting out into the airwaves here on this end. For telling your friends, your neighbor, your dog walker, your in-laws, your hairdresser, and that guy at the coffee shop whose name you always forget. If you like what you hear, help us to continue to grow this offering and get the word out. Just hop on over to iTunes and leave a review and a rating. It really helps us get the word out and to just to promote some of the stuff that we're doing here. We really appreciate it. It'll take just a scant minute of your time. We've got two more full months of stories, shop talk, and inspiration coming your way, so stay with us. Hit the old subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher or head on over to mendpodcast.com to hear what's new. We deeply appreciate you journeying down the road a ways here with us, so thank you. Till next time, cheers.